You have made us lights in this untoward and wicked generation. And we pray that you would use us to further scatter the darkness. Be those in, in places of power politically, judicially. We pray that you would give them a love for your supremacy, a recognition of it, and a recognition of the consequences of not bowing before that supremacy. We pray for any of our number that's sick, chronically ill, in pain, has various challenges and problems and questions they're dealing with in life. Lord, teach them that your grace is sufficient for them and that in Christ all their problems are solved. And now we come to read this very familiar passage of Scripture. We thank you for it, and we pray, Lord God Almighty, that you would burn it into our consciences. Help us love and understand every word in it, and think and live in the light of it. Holy Spirit of God, be our great illuminator as we read this word. For Christ's sake we pray, amen. This morning we're going to read again the first chapter of Genesis. Genesis 1-1 through chapter 2 verse 3. So let us stand for the reading of the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. 
Let them be for lights in the expanse of heaven, to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, be faithful, multiply, Fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the field after their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts and the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky, And to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for good, for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And by the seventh day God completed his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. You may be seated. You can summarize the message of the whole Bible in one simple statement that's easy to remember. The creator of the universe is the redeemer of his universe. That's the message in every book of the Bible. The creator of the universe is the redeemer of the universe. 
And what he's doing here in this first chapter of Genesis is not just giving you ammunition to refute evolution. He's telling you how he set the stage to play out the drama of redemption in Christ throughout human history. We're going to see next week or the week after that that earth is the theater, theater of grace, is the center stage of the universe, is the most important place in all the universe. And in this first chapter, God's telling you how he's getting the earth ready for the drama of redemption. Now let's review a little because some of you weren't here last week. And I want you to see the unity of this passage of Scripture. By the way, I, I hope you all know that Tim gave you all an e-book, which is a comment, my commentary on the whole book of Genesis. He also published a uh, six, eight hundred commentary on Genesis in paperback. I can't lift it, but it's right here on the table if you want to see it. So let's review. Since the Creator is the Redeemer, it's understandable why in the first chapter of his Bible, his main concern was the revelation of himself. This chapter is less the revelation of creation than it is the revelation of the Creator. Who he is, what he's like, what his character is. That first verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Before the beginning, there was nothing but God. There was not time. There was not space. There wasn't even nothing. There was only God. And then in a split second, God spoke. And an entire universe came into being that wasn't there a second earlier. That's the point of Genesis 1. And one of the first things God wants you to know uh, when he writes this chapter is what his name is. God has all kinds of names. You know, God would not let man ever name him. God will not let you give him a name. He has his own name. And in this first chapter, the first name that he gives for himself is Elohim. And Elohim means the all-powerful one, the almighty one, the one who is so omnipotent that he can simply speak and the whole universe comes into existence out of absolutely nothing. He had nothing to work with. He had no tools. He had no instruments. And with absolutely nothing, he made a universe out of nothing. The Hebrew word for universe is heavens and earth. They didn't have a word for universe. And uh, so he is the Almighty One, the one who has the power to do whatever he pleases. Now, when the Bible says that God spoke and the universe was created and that God created the universe by his word, that does not mean that God mumbled a few words out of his mouth. It's a metaphor. God spoke, 
which means God simply asserted his will. That's how easy it was for him to create the whole universe out of nothing. He just willed it to happen. That's what it means to say that he spoke and the universe came into being. Now, we also looked last week and saw that there's something unusual about that word Elohim, that it's a plural noun. That in Hebrew, when they made a noun plural, they put I-M on the end and not S like we do. So here, Elohim is given a plural name. And you remember why we said God gave himself that name. It's not because there's more than one God. It's because there's a plurality of persons in the unity of the Godhead. You remember the word create? Third person singular? You remember when you use a plural noun, you always use a plural verb? Here's a plural noun that has a singular verb. So you have a plurality of persons in the one and only Godhead in the universe. Now, there are some cults that misinterpret that word Elohim. And we're going to see why it's important for me to bring it up again just a little later in the chapter. Since Elohim is in the plural, there are these cults that believe that there were these glorious, majestic beings superior to angels that gathered around the throne of God with whom God sought counsel in how he would do this or that. You remember the one verse that refutes that very view? The two or three verses? Remember in Romans 11 where Paul sums up his doctrinal position and he says oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that he might give back to him again God has no counselors. He's never asked anybody for opinion. There are no majestic beings gathering, gathered around heaven that God goes to for advice when he goes to making up his policies. It's a myth. To say that there's one God in three persons is to say Elohim is a plural noun Create is a singular verb, and all three persons are mentioned in the first two verses of the Bible. God said. So you have God the Father speaking the creative word, the Son of God's the word, and the hovering spirit gave life and order to the universe. So you have God speaking, you have the word he spoke, and you have the spirit that hovers over the waters. And although the New Testament is clearer than the old, 
on the doctrine of the Trinity, the first time we read the Bible, we're face to face with the triune God. Because that's the only God there is. Remember the word create? It means to create out of nothing. Remember when God said he spoke by his word? When God created the universe by his word, that means that God gave meaning and purpose and value to everything in the universe. Everything. Anything in the universe has meaning and purpose and value because God's word spoke it into existence. God had fully understood and interpreted the universe before he created it. And then he spoke that interpretation into nothing and the whole creation was formed. And when he originally created the earth, remember it was formless and void and dark. It was one formless, fluid, dark mass uh, he had something to work with, to organize like he wanted it to for the sake of man. And so he said in verse 3, on the first day of the week, let there be light, and there was light. What any light? All of a sudden, one second later, there was. And God saw the light was good, and God separated light from darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. So the first day of the week, he differentiated between light and darkness. Caused them to exist side by side. And caused the light to penetrate darkness. That's the first day. Second day, verse 6. Then God said, let there be... And now this is hard to understand, and even harder in the King James. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. That simply means that in this fluid, formless, dark mass... God separated the atmosphere from the water on earth. The moist atmosphere, the whole condensation, evaporation cycle. He created the, the uh, atmosphere around the earth, separated the water into the atmosphere and the waters on earth. Verse 8, And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Third day, then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. So on the third day, God separated the waters that were on the earth into seas and oceans and caused dry land to appear. One second. Grand Canyon was made. Well, it had a little help in Noah's flood. But the whole earth, the oceans and the land were created in a split second. And notice the land was fertile and was fruitful. He says, 
in verse 11. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind, with seed in them on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning a third day. So if you can get in the time machine and go back and land on that dry earth one second after God made it with all of its trees, with all of its fruit trees, with all the seeds and the fruit of these fruit trees, one second after God made them, you go back in your time machine, somebody says, well, when were all these fruit trees and vegetation and apple trees? When were they all made? How, how old are they? Oh, they're bearing fruit, so it takes about six or seven years to get to maturity to bear fruit. Nope, they're one second old. You see, the only way you can create something out of nothing is with the appearance of age. It's the only way. When Jesus turned the water into wine, how long does it take to make wine? A few years, if it's any good. And this was the best wine at the party. How long did Jesus, it take Jesus to turn the water into wine? One word. One word. And... Uh, when you create something out of nothing, the only way you can create out of nothing is suddenly. Creating something out of nothing is not a process. It's not a gradual thing. You create something out of nothing. There was nothing and then there's something. And so on the third day, God separated the oceans and the seas from the dry land that was full of vegetation and fruit. And they all, all of these trees and vegetation reproduced after their kind. You see that phrase over and over and over. Remember from last week? Verse 11, fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind. 12, verse 12, and the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind. Trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. The phrase after their kind, the closest we can come to translating it into English is species. Species. You see, there are these differentiations of species. And remember the word create is used three times in this chapter. It's used in chapter 1, verse 1, about the creation of the world. It's used in verse 21 on the creation of animals. And a little later it's used on the creation of man. Three distinct acts of creation. Uh, you know what that means? No one cell animal, uh, no one cell creature will ever evolve into an animal. Nor has it ever. And no animal has ever evolved into a man. The three times the word create used, it's barriers. It's boundaries. Um, so remember, you're not a highly evolved animal. You're not a complicated animal. You're not an animal. God created animals, and then God created man. So don't think of yourself as an animal. Uh, well, let's see what else we learn here. Let's still review. I don't want to forget anything. 
after their kind. There's variations within species, but there's no evolution and development between species. No dog ever evolved into a cat. No mouse ever evolved into a snake. No monkey ever evolved into a man. All of these various creatures reproduced after their kind. You say, well, what about horses? Today we got these great big horses that pull beer trucks. But back in prehistoric times, they had horses. We have, we have their fossils to prove it. We have horses that are about that size back in prehistoric times. And now they're these gigantic things. Yeah. But horses are still horses. They've never evolved into another species. Well, let's see where we go into the next day now. This is something new. We've looked at what God did on the first three days. Now we come to the fourth in verse 14. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. So on the fourth day, God made the sun and the moon and the planets and the stars. And notice the purpose of all these galaxies, to give light on earth. Not to give light on Jupiter or Mars, but to give light on earth and to help men with time and scheduling and making calendars and determining days and years and months so that God created the entire universe, all the stars and planets all over the universe for the benefit of mankind that lived on earth. That's how important man is in this drama of redemption. One of my favorite, favorite, oh, oh, notice one word here in verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs. Not just for determining time and years and months, but for signs. What were signs? We study the book of gospel according to John. A sign was something Jesus did to reveal the greatness and the glory of God. And so God put these stars and planets in the heavens to display the greatness and the glory of Almighty God so that when you look at the universe, when you go out at night, and you look at all the stars, how many of them are there? Trillions. You look at all the galaxies, and if you know what you're looking at, it's going to bring your heart to praise. 
You're going to say all these stars, the sun, the moon, all of these beautiful things are there for God to display his greatness and his glory to human beings. But here's one of my favorite little uh, phrases. It says in uh, verse 16, God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, that is the sun, and the lesser light to govern the night, the moon, and he made the stars also. Now notice that the phrase he made is in italics. When in the Bible they put words in italics, what does that mean? That means it's not there in the original Hebrew or Greek. But that the translator put those words there to help you understand what's being said. Now let's leave them out. Let's leave out the words he made and just read what Moses wrote. So here's what he said. It says, And God made the two great lights, to go, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the light. The stars also. I mean, he just sort of he flung into the heavens trillions of stars. That's all it took. Just one flick of the wrist, and the universe is full of stars. Now, Light was created on the first day, right? The sun was created on the fourth day. Where did that light come from? Or to uh, ask a more complicated question, which I'm not going to answer, what did the earth rotate around for the first four days? Since there wasn't a sun. Well, the answer is easy to, to where the light come from, is that there's more sources of light in this universe than just the sun. Lightning bugs, planets, stars, the glory of God. So the fourth day, we've got the whole universe of sun and moon and stars for the glory of God and for the benefit of man. Verse uh, 19, uh, 20. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters every living creature that moves which with the wa- with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind and god saw that it was good and god blessed them saying be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas And let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. 
God made the beasts of the earth after their kind. And cattle came, uh, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps in the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. So on the fifth day, you see, God created all the fish in the sea, including the great sea monsters, like whales. Uh, he created all the birds of the sky, and they filled the sky with their offspring. The fish filled the waters with their offspring. So on the fifth day, you have the creation of fish and the creation of birds. And then on the sixth day, the first thing that God created is animals. All kinds of land animals. Each one of them reproducing after its kind. All these animals the earth was filled with. And then in verse 26 he said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let us make man in our image. Who's the us and the our? Elohim. One God in three persons. And so here you see the creation of man was a little different than the creation of any other animal or any animal or any creature or any aspect of creation. God created man directly as the three persons of the Trinity. They take counsel with each other and having take counsel with each other, the three persons of the Trinity said, Let us make man over our image, uh, in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over everything. Now, the word man can be used in a lot of ways in the scriptures, and you can use it in a lot of ways. Some of the synonyms for man are. Mankind, humankind, the human race, man and woman. So here the entire human race is described as man. Let us make man in our image. Now, what does it mean to create man, men and women, in the image of God? The word image means uh, mirror. It means uh, a gra uh, uh, express picture. So to say that God created man and woman in his own image is to say that God created man and woman to resemble him on a creaturely level. To resemble God, you're the image of God. God created you and the whole human race so that when people would look at us, we would remind them of Him. And we reflect His character and His life 
on a creaturely level. And that's the basis of fellowship with him. God created man to resemble him so that man and God could have fellowship together. We're jumping the gun from next week, but where did God create man? Adam and Eve, where did he make them? He made them in the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden was somewhere around Iraq, Persia, Armenia, somewhere in that particular area. Of course, a lot prettier then than it is now. Uh, it was full of precious stones. It was full of gold and silver. It was full of all kinds of vegetation. It was amply watered by rivers that flowed from it. It was a, a gorgeous place. But the most important thing about the Garden of Eden is what the Old Testament calls it a little later. The Old Testament calls the Garden of Eden the Garden of God. This is where God lived on earth. All these precious stones and everything, originally God made them for himself. In fact, God made the whole universe for himself. You have people today that say that God made the universe or made earth for man. Well, man has a key role in the drama of redemption, but God made the universe for himself. You know, there's, if you go to the Appalachian Mountains, you hike the Appalachian Trail, there's going to be millions of trilliums and uh, lady slippers and violets that have lived and died for millennia and no man has ever seen them because God didn't make those flowers for bad. He likes trilliums and violets and lady slippers and he made them for himself and he made Adam and Eve for himself in the garden of God. The garden of God was to say that you were created in the garden of God is to say that you were created in God's home. That man was created to have fellowship with him. He was created to look at all of God's handiworks around him and to admire the greatness of this creator and to enjoy fellowship with him. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned, God had to kick him about, kick him out of his home. We'll come to that another day. So God made Adam in his image to resemble him on a creaturely level as the basis of fellowship between him and man. The image of God is also a mirror. It's like God created man and man's a mirror that God holds up to his face. And he looks in that mirror and sees his glory revealed in the face of Adam. And God loves his own glory. So God made Adam to be a mirror not only to reflect his 
nature and character in the world, but also so God could enjoy looking at his own handiwork. Let's see what it says. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God made Adam and Eve, God made mankind to uh, exercise dominion over all the earth, to use all the resources and beauties of creation for God's glory and for God's honor. And so you remember that. That means, as a human being, you're not going to abuse God's creation. That means you're going to treat it with respect. If anybody should have a high view of our responsibility toward environmental issues, it's us. Because we were created and put on this earth to be obedient gardeners, to be managers of creation, to make sure nobody destroys this creation. We were there to care for it and to keep the garden green and clean. Now, that doesn't mean we believe in all these environmental policies of the government, which we don't, because they're simply there to increase power to the state. And they don't do any, are of no help in helping the environment. But this environment, everything about this earth was created for you to use and for you to care for, for the glory of God. Then 27. And God created man. He didn't evolve from a lower form of life. God created the first human beings. If you could go back in the time machine and look at Adam and Eve one second after they were created in all the beauty of physical perfection, intellectual maturity, if you could look at them one second after they were created and somebody said, uh, how long has Adam and Eve been here? Uh, 25, 26 years. Nope. One second. And God created man in his own image. And the image of God he created. Male and female he created them. So you see, our, it's not that we have the image of God. It's not that we bear the image of God. It's not that the image of God is just in our souls. We are the image of God. God created Adam and Eve in his image, male and female. So that your, your physical body, your sexuality, is all a part of this thing of the image of God. Now, God does not have a physical body like man. But the point is... In all the maturity of human beings, the beauty of human beings, and the powers of human beings, and the dominion of human beings over creation, we see the image of God reflected, that we are the image of God. 
Uh, we're going to talk next week or so what man's made up of. Is man just a machine? Is man just a physical being? Is man a somebody that has a soul locked up in a body? Is man a person of three parts? Body, soul, and spirit? All those views are out there held by Christians. And the answer is different than all of them in the first chapter of Genesis. God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a body with a soul. A man became a living soul. So you are the image of God, body and soul. Everything you do with your body is important to God. And besides that, you, don't, you can't do anything just with your body. Everything you do is as a spiritual, physical being. You kiss your wife. Is that just a physical thing? No, it's not a, just a physical thing. It involves your spirit. Somebody grabs a hold of your arm. There's two respond, and you don't want them to hold your arm. There's two things you can say to them. You can either say, let loose of my arm. Or you can say, let loose of me. You grab my arm, you're grabbing me. A spiritual, physical being. But we'll talk about that another day. So, uh, body and soul, we are the, the uh, reflection of God. Now, our gender, as you already know, our gender, our sexuality, was determined before we were born. It was determined by Almighty God. And only He is the one that determines gender, not you. And there's two sexes, male and female. There's two genders, male and female. And all this other stuff about transgender and the like, it's wicked. It's an evil attempt to play God. Say, I don't like the way God made things. I want to be the one that determines my own gender. And I want to do that before I'm eight years old. And if I have to go through some transition process to do it, I will do it because I am God. And so we live in a culture with perversion, transgender things, and all this is an attempt to escape the claims of God upon your life and to try to live life in terms of your own definition rather that in terms of God's definition. God says he created mankind in two sexes, male and female. He determines their gender. And having made them into his image, male and female, he gives them a command in verse 28, which we don't have time to look at today. Verse 28 is one of the most important verses so far.
It's called the Dominion Mandate. You know if this first chapter of Genesis is just a poem, if it's just a figure of speech, if it's just mythology, then most of the most important questions of life God has not given us an answer to. If this is just mythology, there's no answer. Why God made me, how God made me, what's the purpose for my life, what's the purpose for my sexuality, all of these important questions have no answers if the first chapter of Genesis is not true. And so people all around you are going to try their best to wean you off the first chapter of Genesis. Do you know in the state of Virginia right now, the Democrats have presented a resolution that declares it's a felony if parents do not recognize the transgender nature of their children. And they'll go to jail for five years if they don't go along with the modern perversion of gender fluidity. That's how much this culture hates the Creator. And you stand right smack dab in the middle of this culture so that when people look at you and they find out what you believe, you may go to jail for it, but said, nevertheless, stand there and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to remind people of who made me and who made them. And that that creator is the only redeemer of the universe. You see this whole thing on sexual perversion and, and the like, it strikes right at the heart of the gospel. And you're standing as a wall between the invasion of humanism and Satanism and the rest of the human race. You're going to cave in? It's going to become harder and harder for your children to stand firm and say, God created us in his image, male and female he created us. He determined our sexuality before we were born. We don't determine it, God does. That's going to be harder and harder to defend in the American culture. So you better make sure that your children know the Creator is the Redeemer. Let us pray. We thank you for this, this picture that you've given us of how and why you created the world and how and why you created man. 
We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being created in your image. We know that image has been defaced by our sin. We know that sometimes that, in, that image resembles Satan more than it does you. But we thank you that Jesus Christ, the perfect image of God, came to this earth by the power of the Holy Spirit to restore and renew the image of God within us. So, Lord, let us be your image in this world. May people see you in us. And most importantly, we pray that you'll be glorified by looking at us and seeing your handiwork. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and confess our faith in the triune God by reciting together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. We've been looking at things that were said at the Lord's Supper in the Apostolic Church and what they meant. That last week we looked at the phrase, Jesus said, do this until I come. Now let's look at another one. Do this in remembrance of me. Why in the world do we have to be reminded of Jesus every week? Because it's so easy for us to get, forget that our minds have been darkened and sin is still there working in our lives. And remember I quote Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, I preach on justification by faith every week because you forget it every week and I forget it every week. That doesn't say much about us, does it? That we have to have something to remind us every week of who Jesus is and what he did for us. So when you come to this meal, come saying, Lord, thank you for this reminder. Thank you for reminding me I need reminding. Thank you for reminding me what a sinner I am. Thank you for reminding me of Jesus. So when you come to this meal, you say, Lord, forgive me of all the times I've forgotten him. Forgive me of all the times I've lived as if he was not there. 
And thank you for reminding me week after week that Jesus not only died for me, but he arose from the dead. And someday I shall see him. Let's pray. We do this in 